little decisions that you make along the way kind of lead you to where you are today. That was one decision, right? I said, I have no clinical training, but I know I don't want to work in the school for the rest of my life. So I think I need to try and get some clinical. I did that year-long internship. That positioned me well at that point to land some other jobs after I got the doctorate, which then allowed me to get the, you know, ultimately the jobs that I have today. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle, spelled A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part two in the two-part Psych on the Stand series. In part one, we went through hour by hour a day in Dr. Adam Bloom's life as a board-certified forensic psychologist. In this episode, we'll take you through Dr. Bloom's career journey so you know what skills and experience are necessary to land a job as a forensic psychologist. It was a long and windy road to get to where he is today, so let's learn how he did it so you can too. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Yeah, and I still think about this. I wanted to be a police officer. I don't know why I didn't. I mean, I still tell my kids this story of, you know, how I almost became a New York State trooper because they were recruiting at my college undergrad, and I was always impressed with them and went to speak. But I just didn't, uh, you know, pursue the path. And when I went to college, I was an economics major. It was the 80s, and I thought I was going to be, like, on Wall Street, and maybe I should have done that, actually, because <laughs> I might be retired at this point, but I really didn't like economics. Uh, I remember taking, uh, you know, micro, macro economics as a freshman in college, and I just hated it. It was just so boring. At the same time, I was taking intro to psych, and I loved it, as most undergrads do. And then I just, you know, kind of kept taking psychology classes, and... So by, you know, junior year, when it was time to declare a major, psychology was the choice. And it fit in well because I was also a big uh, summer camp guy. You know, I worked mm -hmm. in summer camps, sleepaway camps. And so when it was time to decide what field of psychology, I thought, well, if I worked in a school, then I could have my summers off and continue working in summer camps for a while, which, which I did for many years. During undergrad, he was a teaching assistant for an intro to psych course. In hindsight, he regrets not getting more involved with the psychology department's extracurriculars or seeking psychology internships. But after graduation, he did get into a school psychology master's program at Brooklyn College. You mentioned that you picked psychology junior year, right? That's your major. Did you, or at this point, what was your plan? Did you know that you needed to get the master's and then the doctorate from this point? Or did you just kind of go with the flow and take opportunity? You know, that's one of uh, the things that I look back on and really feel like there should have been better advisement at that point. And, mm. and I think it's probably true today. Kids major in psychology, but have no idea what they're going to do with that degree. I came from a family of teachers, you know, kind of school professionals. So I knew that I would like to get my doctoral degree, but it, I, it was very hard and I didn't have the grades 
to get into a doctoral program. It was super competitive. I wasn't a good student until my junior or senior year when I formally became a psychology major. But having family who were very involved in the school system, school psychology became a good direction for me because that was a two-year master's degree program, and then you could be certified by the Department of Education to work as a school psychologist. And the requirements were a bit uh, less rigorous, so I felt that a better chance of getting into a master's. It's a 60-credit master's program, so you, uh, and I think they're still the same today, so you come out with uh, a master's in education and a advanced certificate, advanced certificate in school psychology, which allows you to practice that field. And as I said, it fit in well with my interest in continuing working in uh, the camping industry. So I applied to uh, a bunch of uh, master's level school psych programs at that point, kind of not knowing what I wanted to do, but figuring, well, I like kids, I'll work in a school, I'll have the summers off, and I'll see where it takes me, and then I can always pursue my doctoral degree later if that's what I wanted. So then I ended up at Brooklyn College. I didn't have the greatest grades. They accepted me on probation. They were like, all right, if you do well, you could stay. And if you get any C's, you're, you're out, you know. So <laughs> pressure's on. <laughs> pressure was on. Uh, I did, you know, I think once you commit to graduate studies, you're, you're getting all A's and B's anyway. So that wasn't the issue. But, you know, that's a very rigorous, structured program. So what I was doing at that point, I was substitute teaching during the day. I was delivering Domino's pizza on Friday nights and Saturday nights and Sundays. And the program I was in was four nights a week from like four to eight or four to 10. And that was for two years. And then during that program, you, you go from one step to the other. So the, you know, the first year you're doing kind of part-time externships. And they set you up with those? Yeah, you apply, you know, and you interview and, and you find one. So the first year was, you know, maybe like 15 hours a week at a mental health clinic. I did that at the uh, in Brooklyn. The second year was a, a formal internship. You know, so you're taking classes at night. You're working about thirty hours a week as an intern, and I did that in in a public school in uh, Staten Island at the time. Although I think now it may be a three year requirement, but at the time everything we we did it in two years for the masters. What was the coursework like in the master's program? The ma the, I tell you, the master's program was uh, in many ways more rigorous than the doctoral program I went to. I mean, it was just intense, or maybe it was just that I was younger and less mature, or le you know, not a savvy student. But uh, coming out of a SUNY Oneonta environment and, and jumping into a Brooklyn College full-time graduate master's program was was a real eye-opener for me. So it was pretty intense, actually. You know, it was a full course load, four classes a semester, plus your internship and some research things. But it was really geared towards the practice model. Not a, it's not a scientific research program. Same with my doctoral degree. Before graduating with his master's in school psychology, Adam Bloom was applying to doctoral programs, but didn't get in for three years. During that three-year period, he was working as a school psychologist with elementary-level kids. But at that point, you know, I was in a very uh, unique situation because I was only applying to school psychology doctoral programs that would accept all my master's degree credits towards the doctorate. And, it, and by that time now, I was full-time employed 
as a school psychologist in Staten Island with the Board of Ed. So I was working, and that was the first time making a real paycheck. Very reluctant to give that up now, right? So I don't want to give that up. So there's only there was only a handful of programs that had night classes that would allow you to work as a school psychologist, and that would allow you to use that as your internship towards the doctorate. Although, ironically, I didn't use it as my internship, and I, I left and did a different internship for my doctorate. Can you give us a little glimpse into what you were doing as a school psychologist? Yeah, so school psychologist is really what it sounds like. I mean... Usually in a suite of offices with the school social worker and the school nurse and the, the education evaluator. So you're not a teacher, but you're a kind of service provider. And you're also not administration. You're not like a principal or assistant principal. You're somewhere in the middle. It is a very nice position, actually. I really enjoyed time as a school psychologist. I learned a lot. It allows you to be very active in, in the entire functioning of the school. You're the one who pulls the kids out to do counseling or IEP evaluations, individualized education plan, which is uh, kids with special needs, you know, have IEPs that tell whether they have learning disabilities or behavior problems or need extra help or accommodations. So you're spending a portion of every day of doing an evaluation of a, of a student, and then you're required to do classroom observations of the students. And then you have students who need counseling either individually or a small group setting. And then you're meeting with parents. And so, I mean, you might module in the classroom on social skills or bullying or something like that. You know, it's nice you get, you're involved in all the school activities, sit in with the administration and figure out program planning. So but it's very kind of, for me at least, it was very routine and monotonous and I mean, yeah, so I did, I did that for five years, and what, what I was concerned about was if I stayed longer than five years, I wouldn't want to leave because then you're invested in a pension system and you have seniority, and it just, you know, kind of gets difficult to leave at that point. He was accepted into Yeshiva University's doctoral program for school psychology. This program accepted 60 credits from his master's program, so he only had 60 credits left to complete his doctorate. He had the option to have his job as a school psychologist count as the required internship for the doctorate, but he decided to go another direction. You may or may not know, but there's multiple fields of psychology one can get into. There's forensic psychology, school psychology, research, development, social, and a couple others. Dr. Bloom, at this point in his career, was looking for a change and decided to pursue clinical psychology, which means that they're working in clinics, hospitals, or group practices to assess and treat people with mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders. Again, without much advisement, I chose to apply to clinical psychology internship programs, which is a, also a very formal process, like a, you know, they have a match day, like medical schools, and, you know, there's one day you find out, everyone in the country finds out, they're super competitive. I don't know, I had a guardian angel, I ended up getting a clinical internship at Montefiore Medical Center. At the time, I, you know, it was unheard of for someone in school psychology with no clinical experience to get a internship at Montefiore. Do you think that helped you stand out? Well, it did, but... The issue was I had to take a huge pay cut. So the, you're back to getting an internship stipend, which I think at the time was $10,000 for the year, as opposed to 
I don't remember what I was making uh, as a school psychologist at the time in, in, in the 80s, maybe, you know, $38,000. But I knew that I didn't have any formal clinical training. And I knew that once I did get my doctorate, I was going to try and branch out away from uh, the school system. So I felt, well, now's the only time to do it. Similar to what I did with forensics a few years later. So th I ended up doing a, a year-long internship at, at Montefiore Medical Center, which, you know, gave me the clinical experience that I needed, that I was missing. You know, and there, you know, I got to work on a inpatient psychiatry unit, work on the uh, in the emergency room, have a clinical caseload for outpatient services, and, and get a real formal clinical uh, experience, training and supervision. So I think clinical is what people think about when they think about psychology. So when you think about working in a hospital or a clinic, you know, really working with, you know, mentally ill patients, certainly if you're in an inpatient unit, you know, these are very disturbed, very often psychotic patients who are actively symptomatic and, you know, you were part of the team with the psychiatrists and the, the mental health staff to get them stabilized. Definitely lacking from my training in school psychology, which everything was education-based and school-based and learning-based. And But I knew, you know, it's weird how you, you, know, you kind of, little decisions that you make along the way kind of lead you to where you are today. That was one decision, right? I said, I have no clinical training, but I know I don't want to work in the school for the rest of my life. So I think I need to try and get some clinical. I did that year-long internship. That positioned me well at that point to land some other jobs after I got the doctorate, which then allowed me to get the, you know, ultimately the jobs that I have today. After he earned his doctorate, he had to work another year to get enough hours to qualify to take his state license exam. So he went back to the school in Staten Island to work for one more year. That whole year, though, I was applying to other jobs because I knew at that point I was living in Westchester and commuting to Staten Island. And I knew I wanted to get out of the school system and find something, just something different. Forensic wasn't even on the radar. I had wasn't even a concept at that time. So I sat for the exam. It was very difficult for me, the exam, the licensing exam. It was pass-fail. You had to get a 70% or higher. I think I got a 71, but I passed it. And mid-year, I found a job in Westchester County that was also something I never thought I would do. So I left the Board of Ed and I I took this job in Westchester with the uh, Westchester Mental Health Association, and I was actually working as a psychologist in a homeless family shelter. So I did that for about three years. Can you talk about what so, you would see there? That was intense because I never had that experience before working with a population with such, you know, tragic needs. I mean, just, you know, homeless family shelter, you could imagine. But we were on site and we offered uh, evaluation and counseling services and also an inter interdisciplinary approach. So we had mental health and uh, psychiatry, and we actually had a pediatrician on site. And so families would come in and through the Westchester County Homeless Services, and they would be placed. It was actually an old Howard Johnson's hotel. It was converted to a homeless shelter. And, you know, so it was kind of like everything was provided to them on site. There was daycare and counseling and assessments and help with job assistance and 
it was really just an eye-opening experience. You think Westchester County, you know, generally a pretty uh, wealthy community, but there were tremendous, uh, as there are now, you know, the issues with homelessness. But you had to have children, you had to be parent children, uh, as opposed to a single adult homeless shelter. So I worked there for about three years. And, you know, that was also an interesting experience, but one of those experiences where you kind of max out. You're a psychologist. You're not an administrator. You're not looking to be a a manager. I mean, there was really just nowhere to, to move at this point and also no movement on the salary at that point. So kind of max out. This is now early 90s. And so three years, I th- I'm thinking... Is this, is this it? Am I going to do this now for the next 20 years? Or what am I going to do about salary increases or promotions? There's just nothing uh, available. So it was at that point then, you know, having done that for three years, I again started the uh, the job search. So I answered an ad in the, in the New York Times to uh, come work at a family court clinic no experience necessary on the job training provided. I think I was making about maybe 40000 a year at the time, and this job had a range up to 60000 which was, wow. Um, again, it was a range <laughs> and in the early 90s. So I answered the ad to this job and was fortunate enough to have gotten the position, and that was in 1997, and there was an extensive on-the-job training program at the time, and so you could learn to do the job. Again, no forensic psychologist at the time, right? So everyone came from either clinical or school or even other fields, developmental psychology. But you did need a doctorate. You had to have a doctorate, a state license to practice. And been with them since my 22nd year. When he first started off at the family clinic, he was trained to be a staff psychologist and worked his way to assistant director and then director of one of the borough corner offices while building an entire private forensic practice on the side. At family court, he doesn't work on treatment or counseling sessions. He's hired to do an evaluation, type up a report, and testify his opinion on the mental health and stability of the person on trial or involved with the trial. You can learn more about that in part one of this series. Family court is a very uh, unique and special place. So, you know, when people ask me about family court, I say, imagine working in a place where you see a family in probably one of the biggest crises of their life, and usually they're crying, you know. So why would you be in family court if nothing was wrong? And hopefully most families will never be in family court. But when you are in family court, you really need help. Right, you're there because either someone brought you in, or you came in on your own, or something happened with your child, or you've been accused of something related to your child. So, family court handles juvenile delinquency cases, child abuse, and child neglect cases. We handle custody and visitation cases for parents who are not married. We handle termination of parental rights cases. That's where. Uh, person loses their legal authority over their own child. Domestic violence and family offense petitions. So really, I mean, getting a sense of, but it's a place where you can really have an impact. And one, you know, in in one encounter 
with a, a person or a family, you can have a tremendous impact on their functioning. And that will be, you know, hopefully a good experience for them and a memorable one. Would you say the evaluation services is a niche in and of itself? Like there's some psychologists out there who aren't evaluating, they're actually in for treatment or they're doing it to treat? I think most psychologists go into psychology to do treatment, to okay. do therapy. I think it's a unique skill for a psychologist to be able to do what we do in forensics or in the court system because if, I think there's been studies, the recent studies, that the number one fear of psychologists are public speaking or testimony. So right off the bat, if you are, are experienced at doing court cases and comfortable testifying in court, that puts you at a, you know, that separates you from the kind of general psych, clinical psychologist. So I wouldn't say a niche, but a unique skill set. So can you talk about the beginning days of building that private practice? The beginning days of my private practice, I was just renting from a friend of mine in White Plains. They had an office. They weren't using it at night. I said, can I use your office one night a week? I'm going to try and get couple of patients, you know, so I borrowed my friend's office like on Tuesday nights from six to eight. And I tried to get two, two people, you know, one at six and one at seven. And that's how I built the practice. I would go out and give talks at schools and, or, you know, for organizations in Westchester. And I would give out my cards and people thought, Hey, this guy might be a good person for my son to talk to or you know my daughter might like talking to this guy and I focused on on the children who were having you know problems in, in school one way or another and you know I had a little subspecialty in, in an area uh, for children with Tourette syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder so I would give a lot of talks at the association meetings and parents would think oh he's you know he seems pretty cool my kid might like to talk to him. And that's how I started building up. It wasn't a forensic practice at that point. It was just a, a practice. Taking insurance payments and or whatever people wanted to pay, $20 or whatever, just to get the practice going. Um, and and I did, that did well. Eventually, I started doing it two nights a week. For a while, I had some flexibility in my hours. So I could do maybe a ha an afternoon at the private office and get out, you know, the other thing. So it wasn't easy. There's a lot of competition in, in that field. So that's, uh, you know, that's something undergrads in, in psychology should realize. That, you know, if you Google clinical psychologists on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, there'll be like, you know, 2,500 of them. Some little town in uh, North Dakota might have three of them, you know. So, but in our area, in this area, the tri-state area, um, private practice psychologists are all over the place. So you really need to think about specializing in something. He then went and got board certified in forensic psychology by the American Board of Professional Psychology. There's not that many psychologists who seek this level of certification and expertise. What did you have to do? How long was the program? Because there's only, what, 25 to 30 in New York alone, right? I, th I think less than less that. Less than in that? New so, York, yeah, much I mean, this is... In the entire state, yeah. It's a big deal. Then. A high, <laughs> so. I, 
I like to believe so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm know, on board. I don't know if everyone else believes so, but yes, th- that's what, you know, the high level referrals. So from Supreme Court or private attorneys or agencies who are looking to contract out services to you, I think they're looking for that uh, diplomate level. So the requirements for that is that you have to have a, a doctoral degree and be licensed in the state and have demonstrated practice and supervision for uh, many hours, the equivalent to, I think, about three years in your field before you can even apply for the uh, boards. And then it's a three-step process after that. Each process takes about a year or two. So it's all independent kind of work at that point and not going to school or, you know, classrooms, although you're encouraged to attend the the conferences and the uh, training programs and the the prep courses for the uh, different exam levels before you finish your board certification. So it was a big undertaking. It was the only option for me at the time as you know, back when I was in school, there was no field of forensic psychology. You couldn't study it. I mean, now there are degree programs in forensic psychology there at the master's level and the doctoral level. So law schools and uh, psychology programs have, you know, combined programs. So, but back then, if, uh, if you wanted to call yourself a forensic psychologist, the only way to do it was to pursue the board certification. That wraps up part two in the Psych on the Stand series. Huge thanks to Dr. Adam Bloom for sharing his wisdom throughout this Experience a Day in the Life series. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one in this series to experience a day in the life of a forensic psychologist. So they say you can't get a job without experience, but need experience to get the job. But luckily, we have quite the experience. You can join our team and experience a day in the life of the jobs you want by applying to be a student editor. Regardless of your major or amount of experience, this is the perfect stepping stone into any internship or career. Find more info and sign up at xadiddle.com slash students. That's x-a-d-i-t-l dot com slash students. Thanks for listening. Head over to exadiddle.com. That's X-A-D-I-T-L.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at exadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.